0: Before we get going with episode 88, a word from our friends at Keeneland, the fall meet is upon us. And before you know it, it's going to be over. So make sure you get involved and check out the Turf Pick 3. It's a $3 minimum wager. It follows the same rules as the traditional Pick 3. It has a 15% takeout. It's really been a smash hit. You've seen so many people on social media talking about the wager. If you like turf racing, you have to give this thing a look. Uh, it appears as a separate event. On wagering terminals and ADWs, it will be named the Keeneland Turf Pick Three. Make sure you check that out while you still can. And Keeneland Select special bonus for wagers on Keeneland new signups who wager two hundred dollars on the fall meet. You're running out of time, but you can still do it. Will receive one hundred dollars back into their account. Wager another hundred dollars for a total of three hundred in your first thirty days and receive another hundred back. In a nutshell, bet $300 on Keeneland's fall meeting. As a new member, you will get $200 back. You have to use the promo code ITM21. That is promo code ITM21 for new signups over at Keeneland Select. It's amazing that it has already come and gone almost. We've still got a little bit of time left. Enjoy what we have left anyway of the fall meet 2021 at Keeneland Racecourse in Lexington, Kentucky. Now, on episode 88. What's going on? Welcome to the Matt Bernier Show, part of the In the Money Media Network. My name is Matt Bernier. You can follow me on Twitter at Bernier underscore Matt. Today is Monday, October the 25th, 2021. This is episode 88 of the pod. However, you listen, thank you for doing so so many ways. If you're somebody who likes just the audio, you're doing some other things, driving in the car, whatever it may be, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, in the money podcast.com. If you're somebody who watches along over on YouTube, maybe this will be a good episode to do so if you're typically someone who just listens to the audio, throw some replays up there, show you a value line, a far too early value line, but truth be told, probably not going to change a hell of a lot between now and Breeders' Cup Saturday, a value line for the Breeders' Cup Classic as we look forward to the World Championships coming up in less than two weeks' time out at the Del Mar Thoroughbred Club in Southern California. This race is one of those that I think, initially, I was a little bit, I don't want to say less than enthused, but it seemed kind of cut and dry. Past few months, opinion of the race has changed some. I do think it's a more interesting race. I think there are some layers to it. I'd be curious to get your thoughts, either beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter, at Bernie or underscore Matt. Speaking of your input, next week's show is typically, we did it last year, or we did it with the Derby and the Oaks earlier, this should be your show, the Breeders' Cup preview show, where I need segments sent to me. 60 seconds preferred. A most likely winner, a vulnerable favorite, and a value play. It could be a long shot, or it could be a horse that you just think you're going to get fair odds on. Breeders' Cup weekend, I know we don't have fields pre-entries come out on Wednesday. You have some time anyway, because the videos need to come in to this email, bernier.matt89 at gmail.com by Friday at two o'clock. Anything beyond that, it's too late because I need to send all the video clips over to producer Craig so he can splice it all together and throw it out next Monday. If it's a very lackluster outcome or turnout, uh, I'll have to just call an audible and figure out something else i don't have any submissions just yet but you have until friday at two o'clock email bernier.matt89 at gmail.com i need a favorite who is a most likely winner i need a vulnerable favorite one that you're looking forward to trying to beat i don't even know need to know who you're going to try to beat him with or her just what favorite do you think is vulnerable? And then a value play. It can be a three to one shot that you think should be eight to five. It can be a 30 to one shot that you think has got a big chance of winning one of the ra- these races or just hitting the board in general. Bernier.matt89 at gmail.com. I need those submissions by two o'clock on Friday. 60 seconds. No more. Anything longer than that, it starts to get bogged down. Just give me in and out quick, be to the point, and we'll be in good shape. Um, I, I I've loved when we've done it in the past and I'm hopeful we can do it again here with this year's Breeders' Cup edition of the Matt Bernier show. And then I'm sure there will be some sort of a production along with the boys over at the Players' Podcast, uh, next week out at Del Mar, something along those lines as we have done in the past. So, but anyway, needed to make sure we got that piece straight and out there for all of you to hopefully get involved with. Uh, let's, before we get into the Breeders' Cup talk with the Classic, and then we'll wrap up with NFL Week 8 forecasts from 538, we have to discuss the sad news about a uh, fellow colleague from NBC in the past. Bob Newmeyer, passed away this past weekend. He was 70 years old. Um, uh, I was on with, uh, Bram Weinstein and, uh, Dan Torgman earlier on Monday morning talking a little bit about everything that you know, my interactions with Numi and growing up in New England, uh, Massachusetts specifically, and just, he was a giant in the media landscape. He was, uh, you know, he was on that Mount Rushmore. He was one of, and will always be one of the, you know, the most important figures from a media standpoint in sports history in, in a city like Boston and in a region like New England. And He was extremely kind and gracious with me when I first began with NBC Um, and it was a bit of a a shell shock for me as someone who grew up watching and listening and hearing him um, to be working alongside him and being able to go back and forth and have him throw me a few jabs and and have some fun with it. You know that was that was new me in a nutshell and uh, his wife Michelle was fantastic. She's she's just the sweetest person ever. And, and uh, honestly, Numi was just, he was just a really good guy. And, uh, it's a shame that he, he's no longer here, but he, he lived a a fantastic life and he was an important part of all of us. Anyone who's paid attention to horse racing for any length of time knows the name Bob Newmeyer, and rightfully and deservedly so. So RIP to Noomi. It's unfortunate that, uh, we start off with that sort of, sort of piece, but, um, truly a, a great guy and, and someone who, you know, he, he didn't have to be as kind and open and, and willing to just shoot the breeze with me as, as he was when I was, you know, 24 years old to 25 years old, just getting going with NBC. Um, but he did and he was, and he was just, just a super guy and, um, unfortunate, but RIP knew I think Numi would appreciate talking about some handicapping because horse racing was his favorite of all the sports. He was a horse racing guy first and foremost. So, um, let's let's try to let's try to find a winner shall we let's talk about the breeders cup classic it's still a ways away pre-entries again are going to come out middle of the week you'll be able to go through but the classic looks kind of cut and dry as far as the field size it doesn't look like we're going to get any last second changes anybody jumping into the pool or whatever it may be looking like you got a field of 10 we've pulled it from drf.com maybe you can find some other horses who potentially would be listed as contenders elsewhere i'm gonna go with these 10 We're going to go through, assign what I believe to be fair odds to these horses if they ran the race this weekend. And recognizing that really not a heck of a lot's going to change between this weekend and next weekend. So, this is something I'm going to work off of as a bit of a a template. Let's talk about it. Watch some replays as well. The Breeders' Cup Classic 2021 out at Del Mar. Field of 10. Let's dive into it from a value standpoint. 2021 Breeders' Cup Classic out at Del Mar next Saturday. This is a race that for a little while I just I was kind of chilly on. I thought it was going to be a merry-go-round next go just far too good and wouldn't face any other kind of pace pressure. Well, things have changed over the past few months, so it's a good time to get a head start. And I know this is the division that we probably know the most about the horses running in, but it's still something to go over. And at least this can hopefully give you some context of my opinion of these horses based on the race given who could go if all of these horses do in fact line up why i'm not in love with a couple of them why i'm good with a few others that sort of thing we're going to go in reverse order and show you some replays as well because to me this is a good opportunity to really sink your teeth into some of the some of the reasons that people may like or dislike certain runners so you're going to see down here this first column is the percentage chance that i'm assigning each one of these runners out of 100. It's pretty cut and dry. For those of you that are new to this thing, a value line has to be 100 points. It can't be more than that. A morning line factors in the takeout. So it'll be up into that 120-ish range, 125 max. Don't go much more than that. But we are only dealing with, there. there is a one outcome and it has to total one. So that's where all of our percentages come from. You then translate the percentages into odds which is the middle column. The third column, and I remember Howard Kravitz, our friend from the uh, HHH uh, Racing Podcast, had asked what that third column was, and I I may not have actually answered his question, but this is a column if you are tacking on 50% of an overlay on top of what your fair odds would be. So do that what you will. And you can see in this column here, these are the horses. So at the bottom of the market for me, stiletto boy, no disrespect, but I mean, it would be an absolute shocker if he won this race. I made him 99 to one. Idol, his most recent run in the awesome again. You'll see bits and pieces of that when we talk about Medina Spirit. I just think he has so much work to do with just that one race under his belt, taking on good horses. And I think he ran against a pretty subpar group from Southern California with the older runners. I have Idol listed as a 32 to one chance. If you want to round these, to your sort of your you know your rounder numbers, I'm a thirty to one shot. I give him a three percent chance. Express Train, I think he's a good horse and just a good horse. He's a graded stakes winner. He can win graded stakes races. Uh, Breeders' Cup Classic, I would be flummoxed if he defeated all of these horses. It would I think it would take something that I just don't envision happening for him to win a race like this. I give him a four percent chance of winning. That translates to twenty four to one odds. Tripoli. Tripoli e is the first one that we'll take a look at from a tape standpoint, winning the Pacific Classic. And really, it's an impressive performance, but the concern is, when you take a look and see, he's here in those familiar Ronus Racing Silks. He's going to tip out into the two, three paths, splitting. going to run down Tism Magician, who's a nice horse, but he's not in this race. He's actually in the three path now, but who's counting? And you see back here, this is Express Train. You've got a couple other runners in here who just, they're fine horses. but I don't know that I look at this race with the fig that was earned and think this is going to be good enough to win a Breeders' Cup Classic. Keep in mind, you don't need to beat one horse. You need to beat all of these horses. So could Tripoli defeat, I'm making it up, Max Player and Essential Quality and Knicks Go and Medina Spirit? Sure. But can he also defeat Hot Rod Charlie and Art Collector and Express Train and Idol and It just There are so many horses and so many things that I think he would need to have go his way to truly be a threat in this race. I would give him about a 16-to-1 chance to win. And even at 16-to-1, I really wouldn't be all that enticed to use him. Art Collector, a bit of a wild card to me in this race. I give him an 11% chance to win, which translates to odds of 8-to-1. And I don't know... I don't know if I'm giving him too much credit or not enough credit because he's a bit of a fresher face for Bill Mott. We know as a three-year-old, he showed—he really showed talent, but he was always kind of his own worst enemy doing some goofy stuff. And then when they really tested him, it seemed like he didn't pass the test. Gone for a long time, comes back with Bill Mott. I've brought it up a few different times. He is a very unique case in that his last three races, and I think he should be given credit for this, all at a mile and an eighth, but they have been at configurations of one turn, two turns, and three turns. That's a very unique thing for a horse to be able to perform equally as well at three wildly different configurations, all of them at nine furlongs. I don't think the 10 furlongs will be an issue for him, but Truth be told, he's got to answer that question. Here he is winning the Woodward on the front end, a one-turn mile in an eighth at Belmont Park. In behind him is Maxfield, Forza Dioro. On the far outside, you've got uh, Dr. Post down inside here. You've got Cote of Honor. The concern here, and we'll, we'll take the tape back just slightly because he was just ever so early with his lead change. Right there, bang. Happens a little bit at Belmont Park. Still not something I love to see, though. Again, with a horse who's been quirky in the past and has missed time in the past. Don't forget that. He fights on very, very nicely here. I think it was a a shrewd move for the connections of Maxfield to punt on the classic. And if I'm saying that, Art Collector, with the trip that he pulled in the Woodward to win by a length and a half over a horse that I think they're making the right move of not running in this race, how much can I really like him? I'm making him eight to one, kind of. Not out of fear, but out of acknowledging that I could, I could be underestimating how good he is. But when I see that, and he's likely to be part of the pace scenario early or close to it, which figures to be fast, it just makes me wonder a little bit, is he really this good? And I can say the same thing about another horse coming up in a, in a few moments, And that's probably why they land in that eight to one range. Now, typically on any given day, and truth be told, you shouldn't approach a race like the Breeders' Cup Classic any differently than you should approach any other race at any other point in the year. It's a horse race, singular. It could be the same as the third at Aqueduct on a Friday in January. There's still horse races. And the same principles apply. Typically... I don't want to be betting wild amounts of money on horses that are up over five or six to one, because for all intents and purposes, there's a reason that they're that high. And when I say that, I mean my actual odds, my personal value. I have no problem betting a horse at 20 to one that I made five or six to one. Saw that a couple of times the last TV run, but an eight to one shot. I typically, if I made them eight, I'm usually not going to be betting them to win because just purely from a math standpoint, they don't win as often as the shorter prices do. So, art collector, if he went off at something like 15 to one, I was sure maybe I would look at him, but I don't, I can't envision myself making a win wager on him. Maybe I'd use him defensively if, because he's going to be a price in some sort of a pick if I play a pick, or maybe he can hang around for a piece if I'm playing a try or a super. But from a win standpoint, I just don't see myself betting him to win. There could be a horse at eight to one on my line that I would bet to win. We'll get to him in a little bit. But again, it kind of goes a little bit against. I am bending my own rules. Going from those five or six to ones being the, the max that I would play from my own fair odds line. Eight to one, you're you're kind of bending a little bit, but knowing that I would get a large price, that would be the only way I would be making a wager on those types. We'll get into that one in a little bit. Medina Spirit, I made him 6-1. to one. And you'll see that his piece here, if you're watching on YouTube, has it's highlighted green, meaning green light. You're good. You're within range. 14% chance of winning. Medina Spirit showed me quite a bit here in this race. This is the awesome again out at Santa Anita. Not in who he defeated, because I think you can look at this and say, he beat a bad group. Why is that that impressive? The thing that impressed me the most, and he's already on the front end here as we turn for home, and look, Stiletto Boy is going to try and run him down, but Stiletto Boy is a fraction of the talent of this horse, Medina Spirit. He finally ran fast. When I say finally, it's not as though he was a slow horse before, but he would have been slow in the classic. And I look at him here with his ears pricked as they're crossing the wire. I think it's a really impressive effort from Medina Spirit. The key to Medina Spirit, and we'll talk about Nick's go momentarily is the running style and that's why this race to me has become very very interesting from a handicapping standpoint because i maintain that medina spirit and nix go would not pass a parked car i don't think either of them would pass anyone maybe by default but not going and getting someone there's a difference if somebody starts to stop and you just go by them, you didn't pass them. You didn't go and get them. You, you went by them, but you didn't go and get them. They came back to you. I don't think either of them would go and get the other one. I think they would be content to be right there and then hope that one of them, whoever made the front spit the bit and they could inherit it. But I don't think the other one has that kind of metal to go and get it, which is odd because Medina Spirit, I think, might be the toughest horse Hmm. we'll call him we'll call him number two as far as wanting to go and beat you in this field the problem is he's like that when he's on the lead he's never shown that he can do that from off of it i made him six to one i'll be very curious to see how the public bets medina spirit because if he he's let go at eight or ten to one that becomes a very intriguing proposition because he has a fast race. He has a running style that, in theory, is very conducive. We talked about it on last week's show. The profile on the main at Delmar, he's going to be forward. I mean, he's already won at Del Mar. If he slips through the cracks, he presents a compelling case. And if we're being honest, the only reason he would slip through the cracks, I think, is because of all the nonsense that has surrounded him. And I'm not even going into, you know, what what this, that, or the other. Just point being, I I think the public perception is that he's not as good as he actually is. And he's a very good racehorse. The running style is the key. Because he and Nixco are going to go. And if one of them blinks and lets the other one set the pace, not only will it compromise their chances, but it could compromise everyone's chances. I don't see that happening in a $7 million race or whatever the classic is, but crazier things have happened. Now, Hot Rod Charlie, I don't have his tape up. And that's an error on my part. But Hot Rod Charlie, I talked about it a few weeks ago after the Pennsylvania Derby. I'm making him eight to one here, an 11% chance. If he had done everything perfectly and professionally, I would have him probably a fraction of that probably in that five to one range because he's run fast. He's given many of these horses a serious, serious challenge, but he did everything incorrectly. And as I brought up before with the idea that this in actuality is just another horse race, why would I bend to that degree with the fifth race at Santa Anita on a Friday? With a horse who did everything wrong, why would I look at that and say, why I'll never ever bet that one, why would I do it here then, against the best of the best that we have on dirt at 10 furlongs in the United States? Why would I do that? So I'm fully admitting he is fast enough to win this race. He just did everything wrong in the Pennsylvania Derby in my eyes, and I know he won, so it's going to sound like I'm being an idiot. No. I, I can't, this is not a race that you should be just bending for the sake of bending. When it comes to what you're handicapping, if it's your price that you're bending on a little bit, that, that's entirely up to you as the gambler. Your handicapping shouldn't change dramatically because it's the classic. And you got to put your, put your heart aside. If you're somebody who loves Medina Spirit, or you're somebody who loves Tripoli, You you can't just bet with your heart. You got to use your head. Otherwise, you're going to go broke. Hot Rod Charlie, I think, is a really talented horse. But again, where is he going to be in relation to the pace situation? Maybe he gets first run. That could put him in a very, very advantageous position. Again, everything I saw mechanically, I hated in the Pennsylvania Derby, and that's enough for me to keep him at 8-1 to as opposed to down in that 5-1 to range. The most polarizing horse for me in the race, without question, is Max Player. And I know that probably sounds silly because he's really never run a fast race in his life. He's kind of what Medina Spirit was prior to Medina Spirit's Awesome again. The thing that is different with Max Player now is when I watch him run at a mile and a quarter, he in Essential Quality may be the two in here. That I actually think want every bit of it. Not saying the others can't get it, but these two may be the only ones that say, come on, give it more. I want every bit of 10 furlongs. This is his win in the Jockey Club Gold Cup at Saratoga. He's in the pink on the outside right now. And Ricardo Santana is just sidling alongside Forza de Oro. He's going to inhale this horse momentarily. And the best part of this run to me is the final eighth of a mile. It's just, he's reaching out. He's saying, come, come at me. And no one else is going to get within shouting range. And he actually increases the margin here at the end. He's running his best at the end of the race. There aren't a ton of horses you can say that about at 10 furlongs. Usually they're the very, very gifted ones. The knock on max player is he's not very fast. In fact, he's, he's slow. Let's not even say he's not very fast. He's slow compared to the best. He's got a career best fig of 102. But visually, and again, think back to some of the other things I've said in the past, you can make a case based on your eye when you're getting compensated. If I was talking about a three or four to one shot in this race who had slow figs, but I said, oh, but 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 my eye tells me, you, you can't bet him. He's not fast enough. It's one thing when you're talking about a three-to-one shot who's not fast enough but looks good. We've seen that those horses bomb in the past. It's another thing when you get a horse who could be a big number but looks really good and you think you could move forward. Now, I've seen some prices on Max Player that make me want to vomit. I mean, nine-to-two would be a gross underlay on this horse, or six-to-one because he's slow I made him eight to one if he went off at 10 10's probably even pushing it a little bit I think that 12 to 15 to one range which my heart of hearts I think that's what he was going to be I really do I, I, I just with a field of this depth at the top I can't imagine him being nine to two or five to one because he's slow I think if he goes off in that 12 to 15 range based on the tape, based on the way he's run his last two races at a mile and a quarter, albeit against inferior company compared to what he'll run against next Saturday afternoon at Del Mar. I think max player is sneaky, man. And I may be convincing myself to pick the horse. Luckily I've still got time to worry about that piece, but from a gambling standpoint and from talking about it from a probabilistic view, I think max player is, is intriguing. I really do. Now, the fastest horse in the race, if you let him just get out there and wing it, is Go. This is him winning the Whitney. Granted, we see Maxfield's name again. Silver State, doesn't want to go that far. So a skydiver, a shell of what she once was. And by my standards, I love him, but he's a grade one slash two. Go can put the boots to a field if you give him an inch. And the key is going to be Twofold. I am not as dubious as other folks about his ability at a mile and a quarter. I, I, he's, he has not shown me anything to suggest otherwise that he can't get a mile and a quarter. So why all of a sudden would I think he can't do it? But the dynamic of the race, if he and Medina Spirit go hammer and tong early, and they go 46, but they're looking each other in the eyeball. One of two things could happen. Keeping in mind, my theory is neither of them would pass the other one. Two things could happen. You could have a two-speed number where Go and Medina Spirit, they just go at it, and we have a duel for the ages. They go one-two, very much like the Del Mar Breeders' Cup Classic from 17 with Gunrunner and Collected. One-two. Whole way, they're just better than everybody else. Come and catch me. Nobody can. It is an entirely possible scenario with these two horses. Or they go forty-six to the half. Or hell, maybe they go 45 and change. And they're looking at each other in the eyeball. And they're getting close, let's say, three-eighths. Ooh, starting to feel it now. And normally when no one would be coming at them because they are just so much better than everyone else, all of a sudden, here's Hot Rod Charlie. All of a sudden, here's Max Player, and they're breathing down your neck. Okay, now maybe Nick's Go or Medina Spirit can put the other one away because just maybe the distance gets to them. Now you got to deal with those couple horses. Maybe Art Collector's there, maybe even Tripoli or, or Express Train. Maybe you can put them away. you got an eighth of a mile to go to win the big one. And then this guy shows up. The horse that I think will be the favorite when all is said and done and I think deservedly so, essential quality. This is his win in the Travers. And I think the reason there is potentially trepidation for some folks is he is not the flashiest thing you've ever seen. But boy, does he want to win. And you can't, it's not an intangible you can measure. He had no business really winning this race. Midnight Bourbon, and I can say the complete, I can say the same thing about Midnight Bourbon, he had no business losing this race. But And I'm going to run it back one more time just because, I mean, I'll pull it back even farther as they're going into the far turn. Luis Saez has got to start pumping on essential quality here pretty quick. And for a moment, it looks like he's just kind of going up and down. But there's something to be said about the will to win. He wants to beat you. Arrogate had it. Arrogate wanted to beat you. Now, Arrogate had brilliance that essential quality has not shown. And it sounds like, based on the news coming out, this will be Essential Quality's last race. Maybe this is his his ultimate send-off, and he does show that brilliance that we just haven't seen from him. But he's as gutsy. He feels blue-collar, let's get into a fight. I like a good fight kind of horse. I don't have any concern about his ability at 10. I don't have his, his, any concern about his ability to adapt to pace scenarios. Delmar, sure, an unknown. Hopefully, he'll get a couple jogs over it before the race. But when talking about the two Brad Cox trainees, I think they should be the two favorites in the market. I made Knicks go nine to two. Well, technically, I, I made him five to one. We're rounding up 17% closer to five. So a five to one shot for Nixco, and it's purely because of the other pace in the race. If Medina Spirit somehow clears, I don't think Nixco is going to go by. I think he's a a candidate. To be honest with you, I think they could both be candidates to run out, which could then be a very attractive gambling situation because you're going to then, just by default, you would get prices that could hit the board somehow. I made a central quality 7-2 to as fair odds. Now, I'm sure some of you are going to look at this and go, well, what happens if you don't get fair odds in any of them? I mean, you want the the truth? Truth, then, you shouldn't bet on any of them. Factoring in that it is just another horse race. It may be the biggest one that we have here in the United States, but it is just another horse race from a gambling standpoint. I guess there's a chance you get 7-2 to on a central quality. I would be stunned. I think he's probably two to one or five to two, but you never know. Crazier things have happened. We saw the wage ring in last year's classic. Tom's Day Todd took a wicked amount of money early on. He deserved to take some money. I didn't think he deserved to be the favorite. Tis the law took a ton of money. That one at least made a little bit of sense, but, you know, this is a, an interesting group of horses. And again, I would encourage you to go through and do this exercise if you've never done it before. All you need to do is assign a percentage to each one of these runners and make sure that all of their percentages, the sum equals 100 or one if you're doing it fractionally. And then all you're doing is dividing by one. One divided by the number, the percentage. And then you take that and you subtract by one. There are your odds. One divided by 0.22 minus one gets you 3.55. Three and a half to one, seven to two for essential quality. That's what I would deem fair odds. Another way to get around, you know, if your fear is that these are the fair odds that I have for certain horses, uh, is to try to get alive in a double, which is what I typically do normally, but especially so in the Breeders' Cup. That way you lock in your price and you do some quick math. And again, I know I've got a little tool here that, you know, makes life a little bit easier to just do it on the fly, but there's nothing saying that other folks can't put something like this together then it'll spit out fair odds for you for what you should be looking at from a double standpoint. If you don't get that price, you don't make the play. It's as simple as that. Let me know what your thoughts are beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter at bernier underscore Matt about the breeders cup classic next Saturday at Del Mar. This is my view of these 10 horses. And what I believe fair odds would be on each one of them. Let me know what you believe fair odds would be on any one of these, or if you have any questions about any of the other races. But also keep in mind, need those video submissions. bernier.matt89 at gmail.com. I need a vulnerable favorite, a favorite that you think is the most likely winner, and a value play. Maybe some iteration of all that comes from the Breeders' Cup Classic. Who knows? You're the only one that can know that because you're the handicapper. Send those clips to me, 60 seconds max. Let's also talk about more probability, shall we? It's all about probability all the time, folks. 538 NFL Week 8 Forecasts. NFL Week 8 Forecasts over on 538.com. Solid week in Week 7. If we go into the Monday night game, I've got the Saints defeating the Seahawks in Seattle. Uh, but going into the Monday night game, 8-3 with one game that I gave a 50-50 shot to, which was the Falcons and the Dolphins, and it played out that way. The Falcons won 30-28, to 28, and I believe it was on a last-second field goal. So I feel pretty good about that. Overall, the model has been solid. Um, it's identified 68% winners so far, and keep in mind, 538, we're not factoring the spread in. All we're trying to do is assign a probability that a certain team will win. And from there, if you're correct, you will gain points. And if you're incorrect, you will lose points. And when they deduct points, they penalize you for being overly confident. So it's try to, try to keep people away from just maxing out every slider to, you know, 100 points or 95 points for a percentile standpoint uh, week in and week out. The one thing that I don't love so far about the model that I've put together, I like, that, I like the trajectory we're on as far as identifying winners and even given the spreads for whatever reason i'm coming up six points short on the total week in and week out and it's basically 50 50 on either side home or away so i don't know if i have one of the metrics weighted slightly too heavily whether it's the turnovers or one of the other little tweaks that i got in there but i i, I don't think the turnover piece is the problem i think it has more to i, I don't even know i'm gonna have to go through i may end up tearing it down and rebuilding it again it's the beauty of anybody who has thought about putting together any kind of a predictive model uh, once you get a hang for what you're doing, it's still a time-consuming thing to, to throw it together to know where you need to go scrape data from and you know how to put together any kind of an algorithm that you have put together. Uh, but once you kind of know the pieces that go to it, you can kind of rebuild things on the fly if you think things are a little bit wonky. So I'm probably going to go through and assess a couple different pieces. Um, again, 68% as far as identifying who's going to win the game so far. Uh, I I do think an interesting point, maybe those of you who gamble on football, something to throw out there. Most people use sort of conventional wisdom, two points, three points for home field advantage, uh, somewhere in that ballpark. Some folks use two and a half for me, based on my numbers and the way everything has gone this year. And I think you would hear, you may hear this from some other folks as well. Um, I have a home field advantage being very, very minimal, uh, less than a full point. I have right now. Uh, Home field advantage in the NFL through seven weeks as uh, 0.98 points. So, again, not even a full point advantage for being home. Uh, Do with that what you will. That's how I go about all my stuff. So, uh, just something that I figured I'd throw out there for those of you who like to uh, gamble on the number a little bit. So, let's start off with Thursday night. Great game. Green Bay Packers at the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, The Cardinals are four point favorites at home. I have them winning. My model has them winning 25 to 18 my power ratings have them as 15 point favorites. I don't know that I'm ready to go that far. I believe more in Arizona than I do Green Bay. 15 is a big number. 15 is a big number. If Arizona beats Green Bay by 15 or, or let's say two touchdowns, all the, then, then the bandwagon is going to really, really be taking on some folks. Everybody and their brother is going to be hopping aboard, hopping aboard. I think 15 is aggressive. I have them winning by seven in this spot, 25 to 18. I think the Cardinals win this game 66% of the time. Carolina Panthers at the Atlanta Falcons. The Falcons are three-point home favorites. I have this is a 50-50 shot right down the middle, 19 to 19. Green Bay, excuse me, uh, Carolina and Atlanta. The power ratings suggest that the Falcons are eight and almost nine-point underdogs at home. From what I've seen from Carolina recently, I just can't sink my teeth into that. You've got Sam Darnold getting pulled this past weekend. Their offense without McCaffrey has struggled. I think that's putting it kindly. It's been very pedestrian. Atlanta is probably not as bad as they looked at the beginning of the season. Remember, they got off to a poor start. They were in some games and kind of coughed them up late. And a lot of people kind of zigged when they were initially zagging or vice versa, however you want to phrase it. They've at least shown a little bit. I'm not telling you they're going to make the playoffs, but I don't think they're terrible. Again, 19-19 to for me, it's a 50-50 shot because I could be totally wrong on my assessment of either team. I don't think Carolina is as good as I thought they may be. And Atlanta, I don't think they're nearly as bad as many people are making them out to be. So the power rating suggests it's almost a nine-point difference where the Falcons are 9 points worse than Carolina. I am not buying that. I'm calling this a 50/50 shot. I'll take a zero as far as 538 is concerned for this one next weekend. Miami Dolphins at the Buffalo Bills. Bills coming off the bye, they are 13 and a half point favorites at home. By the way, all these spreads are from DraftKings. I have Buffalo winning 26 to 6 over the Miami Dolphins. The power ratings suggest they are nearly 25 point favorites. It really wouldn't stun me if that ended up being the case. I have them winning by 20 with the model. I'm going to give this a 95% chance of happening. And I, I don't like to go any more than that. There's a mathematical equation that you can put together that would that spits out the probability um, based on spreads. I, I I cap it at 95. I'm not going to go beyond that because... You have to at least throw out the possibility that random stuff can happen. I I do think Miami's dreadful, and I think Buffalo's very good. 26-6, Buffalo wins at home 95% of the time, in my opinion. San Francisco 49ers at the Chicago Bears. The Bears are three-point dogs at home. I think San Francisco's bad. Hot take. I think the 49ers are not very good, whether it's Garoppolo or Lance. Now, keeping in mind, Lance is hurt right now. But there's a part of me that looks at that team and says... For all the hype, and not just the Shanahan piece, but I I think many people think San Francisco is something they're not. Based on the results, they're not what many people sort of... They're not as good as many people make them out to be, based on the results, purely on the results. Maybe it is because they've been banged up for the past four years where they haven't had consistent running back play, but I don't see that really being the issue. George Kittle's hurt, but George Kittle's hurt a lot. Garoppolo's always dinged up, and I, I... I know I'm on an island here. I don't think Garoppolo is a disaster. He may not be the right fit for that offense. But all of this, all encompassed, all put together, I think equals a team that is subpar. The Chicago Bears, they're probably in the same ballpark. But there's at least, there are some things there. No, the coaching is not good. I get that. Hopefully, Matt Nagy's going to be okay. He just uh, found out earlier today that he's got COVID. Hopefully, he's going to be all right. But I look at this team and just, I don't think there's a great deal of difference between the two, but people talk about the two as if there's a chasm between them. Does that make sense? People talk about the 49ers like they are upper echelon, and they talk about the Bears like they suck. And I think they're pretty darn close. I have the Bears winning this game. 20 to 16 at home. And based on my power ratings, the 49ers should be four-point favorites. I'm not going to go, I'm not buying it. I would be betting Chicago at home catching three. I don't think there's a great deal of difference between the two teams. I think Chicago wins the game 56% of the time. Pittsburgh Steelers at the Cleveland Browns. The Browns are three-and-a-half-point favorites at home. This is a number that I would imagine could potentially change if Baker Mayfield plays, if Nick Chubb plays. Uh, they're very banged up. Jarvis Landry came out again in his first game back off the IR. Uh, Beckham has been in and out for a bit. Their defense is not nearly as good as maybe I thought they could end up being. Um, Cleveland, that is. Having said that, Pittsburgh's offense is dreadful. Big Ben, it's just it's not there anymore. Uh, It happens father time catches up to everyone he just i don't think he can do it but cleveland has been very very odd in that they've had some games that have been shootouts didn't they have that that wild 47 42 game against the chargers a couple weeks ago and then they can just as easily have a game like they did against minnesota where it was 14 to 10 or whatever the final was i have a funny feeling about this one the power ratings my power ratings have the browns favored by one My model has the Steelers winning by one in Cleveland. I'm going to go with Pittsburgh 18, Cleveland 17. Pittsburgh winning 57% of the time. Again, could be totally wrong, but the number's a little funny. If Mayfield plays, it probably changes some. But let's be, be honest, most of my stuff that I use is pulling from data from this season and now we're pulling a little bit less from last season. But Mayfield was playing all along. I don't know that that number was going to change as far as my model is concerned or my power ratings are concerned a, a great deal. I'm going to go with Pittsburgh winning this game over Cleveland in Cleveland 57% of the time. Tennessee Titans at the Indianapolis Colts. The Colts are one point dogs at home. It's effectively a pick, but Indianapolis plus one right now. Uh, My power ratings have the Colts as one-point underdogs at home. I think it makes sense. I think a lot of people are looking at what Tennessee has done recently saying, look, they are much better than maybe they showed early on. I'm still not buying it. I think Tennessee is a flawed team. Defensively, they can't really do a heck of a lot. And I, I recognize they held Kansas City to three points. Kansas, there's something wrong with Kansas City. Not just that their defense is awful, but... The pressure is mounting on the offense to make up for the defense's deficiencies. And I think Sunday was just the perfect storm where all hell broke loose and they just couldn't get out of their own way. I think it inflates the way people look at Tennessee. Also with that game against Buffalo two weeks ago. I I won't take anything away from the Titans with that game. They, They beat Buffalo, which stunned me. But... I I'm just not ready to buy into the Titans. I'm just not. Some of the losses earlier and the way that they played in some of those games, I just good teams don't do that in my opinion. They just don't. A couple little hiccups here or there. They played woeful, woeful opponents. And and either you want to say they played down to their level or they didn't show up. Neither is good. I'm not ready to fully buy into the Titans. I think the Colts win this game at home, and I think the Colts are going to win that division. I have Indianapolis winning 23 to 18. I've been winning 62% of the time over the Titans in Indianapolis. Another team that I don't believe in, Philadelphia Eagles at the Detroit Lions. The Lions are three and a half point home dogs. I don't love the Eagles, but I don't think Detroit's any good. And when I say that, I know they've got some fight in them. But when push comes to shove, I don't think they've got the horses. I just don't. Philly's at least got some weapons. My power rating suggests the Lions should be a little more than 2.5-point underdogs. 2.8 points, to be exact. My model suggests that they're 2-point underdogs. So there's a lot of synergy here. A lot of things are lining up. I think the Eagles win in Detroit 20-18. to 18. On Sunday afternoon, Philly wins 61% of the time, and it's not a vote of confidence for the Eagles. I don't think they're any good either. The Los Angeles Rams at the Houston Texans. The Texans are 14 and a half point home dogs. That is a that's a spicy meatball right there. 14 and a half points at home. The power ratings suggest they should be 21 and a half point dogs at home. And the model suggests they're going to lose by 15. So do what you will. I have the Rams beating the Texans in Houston 25 to 10. That's a 95% probability. Cincinnati Bengals, who they look legit. At the New York Jets, this is one that I'm sure is going to seem a little bit weird. Jets are nine-point home dogs. You're not going to have Zach Wilson out a few weeks with the uh, PCL sprain or whatever it is. Bengals coming off of a absolute drubbing of the Baltimore Ravens I think you're gonna find out if the Bengals are are, are the Bengals I don't want to say for real for real versus just for real but I'm hopeful some of you understand my point if you're for real for real you don't have any letdown here you go into New York you just beat the ever-loving you know what out of the Jets you you hang 30 on them and you win by three scores If you're good, if you're for real, you're going to win the game. But this is a prime position, in my opinion, where you may get a little bit of a letdown. And then I see the power ratings. I take a look at the number. It's massive. Almost 24 points. The power ratings suggest the Jets are nearly 24 points worse than the Bengals. The model, though, crunches the numbers. Cincinnati 17, New York Jets 11. I know is a funny number, but think about it from a game script standpoint. Who knows? Maybe they're down 14-0, they start trying to go for two, things like that. I, I wonder if this is going to be one of those games that Cincinnati will escape. You would think going into it, they're going to win by 100. But I, I just, I wonder if this is a little bit of a letdown game. And if they go out there and hang a million, that's when I'll probably look at it. And I know it sounds silly because it's the Jets and who cares? The Jets are are bad. But that's good teams destroy bad teams they don't just beat bad teams they destroy them and when i say good teams i mean the cream of the crop cincinnati i don't think anybody can sit here now and argue that they're not legit how legit are they though i think the bengals win this game 69 percent of the time again the power ratings say this is off the charts that it's it's a a four score game model i'm gonna go with the model cincinnati 17 jets 11 New England Patriots at the Los Angeles Chargers. Chargers are five and a half point home favorites. My model suggests that the Chargers win this game 22 to 17. The power ratings suggest they are less than a one point favorite. I like everything I'm seeing from the Patriots. I've talked about it before. Despite the fact that the record is not very good, this was not the year that I'm looking at thinking Super Bowl. You just got to see, do you have the guys? Do you have pieces? A, do you have the guy? quarterback they do i I, all in on mac jones some of the additions on offense no the wide receivers they probably overpaid for a few of them specifically agalor specifically Bourne. the tight ends i don't have a problem with johnny smith got hurt the other day but hunter henry no he's not going to go for 150 yards like gronk used to or anything like that but he's a good red zone target for somebody like mac jacoby myers is their best receiver period Damian Harris looked much better yesterday. Granted, it was against the Jets. I think things are trending the right direction. Can they go to LA and beat the Chargers? They could. They absolutely could. I, I'm not expecting it, but they could. I think the Chargers beat the Patriots in LA 61% of the time. I have the Chargers winning 22-17. to 17. Jacksonville Jaguars at the Seattle Seahawks Seahawks are three and a half point home favorites I have Seattle winning 22 to 14 over the Jags the power ratings suggest the Seahawks are almost 13 points better than the Jaguars seems like a big number because Seattle's a little bit dinged up keeping in mind that the power ratings are factoring in everything that has happened already so including the games with Russ Uh, as opposed to Geno, that number could also change slightly based on whatever happens tonight in the Monday night game. Uh, 71% of the time, though, I do think Seattle holds serve in whatever the field is called now. In Seattle, just leave it at that. Washington football team. They're on the road at the Denver Broncos. The Broncos are three-point favorites at home. Uh, The power ratings would suggest that the Broncos are actually eight points better than the, the Washington football team. I have Denver winning 15 to 13 in a rock fight. And just a, a game that if you enjoy gross football, that's probably what this one will be. Uh, 52% of the time, I think the Broncos win at home. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers at the New Orleans Saints. Saints are four and a half point home dogs. They play tonight on Monday. Could change some things slightly. The power ratings suggest that the Saints are about five and a half points worse than the Bucks. When I first looked at that, I said, boy, that that doesn't, your eye doesn't suggest that, does it? Like, when you think of the Bucks, you think they're going to go out there, they're going to score 35. Yeah, their defense is a little bit banged up, but they can still hold their own. New Orleans offense is, you know, so far has been very hit or miss. And then when I throw everything into the model, it spits out New Orleans Saints 24, Tampa Bay Bucks 18. And I see that four and a half point spread, a little, little smelly little smelly, I get it. They're home, maybe they're factoring in. Let's say they factor in two, so six and a half at home. Okay. As I said at the top of the segment, I think home field is is only about a point. Power ratings, five and a half. Model has the Saints winning 24 to 18. Largely due to their defense. I'm going to go with it. I brought the percentage down from a probability standpoint because I still think there is an off chance. If one team blows the other one out, it's going to be Tampa. But if it's a close game, nip and tuck back and forth, maybe that defense can keep New Orleans in it. And maybe Tampa's defense is just weak enough that Jameis isn't going to totally screw things up. Maybe Alvin Kamara has a big day. Granted, you can't really run against the Bucks, But the good news about Alvin, he's just as effective as a pass catcher as he is a running back. I'm going to go with it. You got you to gotta be bold sometimes. New Orleans 24, Tampa 18 next week. 52% chance for me of New Orleans defeating the Bucks at the Superdome. Dallas Cowboys at the Minnesota Vikings. The Vikings are two and a half point home dogs. I have the Cowboys defeating the Vikings 23 to 20. Power ratings would suggest that the Vikings are four points worse than the Cowboys. So these numbers are all very much in line. I'm going to stick right with it. I think it'll be a fun game to watch. I think Dallas wins 23 to 20 at Minnesota. And the Monday night game, you have the New York Giants at the Kansas City Chiefs. This is genuinely a must win for Kansas City. The book has Kansas City minus 10. My model has them winning 25 to 15. There's your 10. My power ratings only have them favored by seven over the Giants, which to me speaks volumes about where the Kansas City Chiefs are right now that you're only a touchdown favorite in one sort of assessment of your ability over the Giants. Now, the Giants aren't awful, but they're not good. I think the Chiefs win 70% of the time, which if, we had, if you had asked me about this at the beginning of the season, this would have been a 90 to 95%, I think. I really do. I don't, I don't know how it wouldn't be. But their defense is terrible, and I know that 15-point number for the Giants sounds low when we see that a Pee Wee football team or a Pop Warner team could run on the Chiefs. But I have to think the talent's going to gonna win out in this spot. Where you, you have to win. It's Monday night. If you lose, it's genuinely over. And what are they, right? Are they two and five? I got to look it up now. On the fly. Everybody loves a good uh, research piece on the fly. The three and four. I mean, you can't, you can't fall another game behind a Raiders team whose uh, Raiders are on bye next week, right? So I quick look through that again. I mean, I, assuming the Chargers beat the Patriots, you you can't fall two behind both Vegas and the Chargers. And really with the Chargers, tack on a half game because they've already defeated the Chiefs once. I I did a must win for the Chiefs on Monday night. I'm not breaking any news there. I'd be terrified to take the... To, to lay the 10 but i do think they win 25 to 15 70 percent of the time at home at arrowhead over the new york giants let me know what your thoughts are about the week eight slate in the nfl if you're someone who has gotten involved over on 538.com again i think there are good useful pieces to show you you're making a projection of odds the likelihood of certain things happening It's what I talk about with the value lines, what we talked about at the top of the show with the Breeders' Cup Classic, assigning percentages, how often, if they run this race 100 times, how often do each one of these horses win? And you have to think of it from if they, totally unforeseen circumstances can happen. That's why it's very unlikely that you get horses that are truly 0% throw them out. Because you have to think, in the big picture of life random things happen who's to say a 99 to 1 shot can't win a race at the classic it's happened before actually i believe it was 132 to 1 but who's counting point being this 538 exercise i think it goes a long way not just for football but for horse racing and just gambling in general going through and assigning probability you have to do it if you want to try to be successful in the long run i firmly believe that it's the thing i'm going to continue to push for as long as i'm doing this sort of stuff uh, you can follow me on Twitter, at Bernie or underscore Matt. Please, however you listen to this thing, rate, review, and subscribe. If you're listening from one of the podcast apps, uh, we appreciate it. Any kind of review is welcome. Positive rating. Whatever it may be. If you're over on YouTube, search bar Matt Bernie or show, you get this episode, along with all the ones from before. Make sure that bell icon is lit up so you get notified anytime new content is uploaded to the In The Money Media channel. And for one last time, if you want to be part of next week's show, we need to have your submission, most likely winner, a favorite that you're against, and a long shot, a value play. It can be kind of whatever you want to call it. Let's, just go, let's go with value. A most likely winner, a favorite you're against, and a value play bernier.matt89 at gmail.com need it by Friday at 2 o'clock if I don't have it then I can't get them over to producer Craig and I haven't received any yet so if it ends up being a complete flop we'll know you know you may see me again it'll be a very very short short show next week but I want to hear your opinions as we inch closer and closer to the Breeders' Cup World Championships out of Del Mar next weekend think about that Next weekend. We're already there. It's going to be fun. Looking forward to it. Until then, best of luck however you play, whatever you play, and wherever you play. This has been the Matt Bernier Show.